Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. So that is our Torah portion of the day, Teruma, that correlated for Exodus chapter 25, going through chapter 27, completing in verse 19. The balance of the, uh, the, balance of the, of the, of the book of Exodus dominantly focuses attention upon the tabernacle and its decorations and such, the items go with it. And so this Teruma from Exodus 25, verse 1 through 27, verse 19, uh, is when we in our Torah are first introduced to what the furniture items and the basic components that God intended or wants his tabernacle to look like. Now, as you see, obviously, there's a lot of stuff here as far as fabric and, 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 and decorations and furniture items and such. We'll cover, we'll cover a little bit about that today, because that's obviously the dominant portion of this, of this, por- of this Torah portion. And uh, so a little about that as far as what they are and, and, and information we can gather from, this, from these details. Mind you, remember when you when you when you imagine and looking at all these different uh, uh, images, the different furniture items, what's made. God is trying to show a picture to us as people, obviously via words, as far as what Moses saw in heaven. So these items, God is showing Moses; he's seeing them in heaven, and so God is then duplicating them here, then down here at the tabernacle. So these items, we say, well, okay, a lot of stuff, you know, that's pretty. I, I assume it's pretty. Obviously, I haven't seen it myself. Um, and the various components are, they look great and all that kind of stuff. That's great. But looking at it through words is a little bit, you know, abstract. Uh, but as far as what the functionality is, is what we're supposed to be gathering it as far as spiritual information, which we'll gather. We'll talk a bit about that today. Before I go to my spiel, uh, any questions or comments? Those who are online, you unmute yourself if you have a question. Or because I may not cover all the details, I'll be spending most of my time today on the ark itself, as opposed to on each of the other items. So, if you have a question about the altar or or the menorah or whatever else, you can ask that now. Because I, otherwise, I will likely not cover it today. Yes, okay. uh, Daniel is. Uh, I'm. I'm sorry. Alex has a question. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I think I could pretty well follow the decor, but the sockets have me a little confused. Uh, are these. <laughs> Little yeah. upside down cups in the ceiling under the beams. So uh, let's see. I think I may have a, a flagpole in there. Yeah, uh, there's a picture I have in one of my books here of what an artist interpreted the sockets to be. Let's see here. Uh, here's, yeah, it's, it's a difficult picture. I'll show it to you in the screen. Those of you who can see, oh, great. If you can't see it, I apologize. So it's probably a little fuzzy. Right along here, this is the beam, the post, and right at the very bottom is a small rectangular square. It's a rectangular object with two holes in it. The intent of the object is to be able to put the post in it. The object, although this the way it's shown here, it looks like the entire board puts instead of one. It actually is designed to hold the boards together in, near the ground. So they're all evenly spaced. Uh, if you don't have the sockets there, they don't become even. Unlike for construction, for example, you're in construction. Um, if you wish to have two boards next to each other, you would attach them. You nail one board next to you. Two, 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 if you have two 2 four, you nail them together, and now you have a single, well, it's like not quite a 4 4 it's like a 4 by you know, 
three, three and a half, whatever it is. It's a little bit narrower, um, but uh, you would you would attach them together. You'd have faster the screws going through it or nails going through it or whatever the case would be. This system has no fasteners in that capacity. So when you have all these boards being vertical placed to keep them together tight, they have sockets that are at the bottom that actually hold the boards vertically and the sockets are spaced right. The boards to spread between them all. So the bottom, so each board is is forced to stay close together the board next to it. Does that make sense? And that's the intent. Then you have this bar that goes through it. Now there's different interpretations what the bar looks like. It looks like there are three bars, a top, a middle, and a bottom. And the bars travel all the way through the boards. I'm not sure how they attach together. Maybe they're screwed together. I don't know. If your bars like, can go so long. They all the board through the whole length, the curtain's length. Uh, sorry, the, the wall's length. So you have a top, a middle, and a bottom. That have a, a, a actually it's not much different than current construction because you have a sill and it has a, 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 a base plate and it has blocking although it used to blocking I mean, not so much anymore blocking them in the middle of the of the wall it's the same principle these bars go to the top bottom and the middle the middle ones specifically however states that it, the bars just go through it because the, the 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 boards the vertical boards are all hollow there's a hole right in the middle that goes the, the width of it so the bar slides in between each of the individual holes, all the holes all the way along from board to board to board, tying the middle of the board, the middle boards all together. So the objective of all this is it, it, it reiterates over and over again, make sure it's even. So the height is even, the bottom's even, and the wall is smooth on the inside and outside. That's the goal without using screws, nails, hammers, anything of that nature. You're doing physical assembly. The evenness was very critical. God kept reiterating, it must remain even. So it's important for us how it's designed. So the sock is designed to keep even going in and out. So they're all, 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 all butt up to each other, as well as even to the, to the ground. And of course, the boards, the bars keep them from weaving in and out from each other. So they're all look like, look, they look for appearance wise as a straight line. And of course, they all have to have the exact same height top. So they all look even at the top. So the curtain doesn't look distorted or skewed. And you have to be able to, the reason why he's doing this without fasteners is you have to be able to disassemble it at a moment's notice and reassemble it at a moment's notice. So you can't be reusing fasteners. You've used screws over and over again. If you keep putting a screw in the exact same hole, what happens? The hole strips out. <laughs> but in and out, in and out, eventually you have to there, let's, let's putty the hole up or drill a new hole. Uh, same principle. So that makes the, the it's, it's completely assembled and assemblable without using tools. They're just using manual hands to hold everything together. And obviously, withstand the elements of the weather. Uh, Pat, your hand is up. Unmute yourself so we can hear you. Oh, I was going to say the same thing you just said. It was so they could move that at a moment's notice. But in my Bible, it talks about the being a mercy seat as opposed to just, I guess, the whatever you call it, the top of the ark was a mercy seat. Is that? a different translation because I noticed some of the things are very different and I have a King James Bible and I don't right, know. Right, right, right. <laughs> so mercy seat is a, 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 a uh, highly misleading translation of the word. Uh, the okay. word is Kapoor. Uh, it's Kapoor. It's a cover to, to sit above it. So, so the, the, so we're actually, we're talking a little about that today regarding Hebrew words. Cause mind you, there was a play on words in this, in the scripture, uh, in our passage. Actually, the entire Torah has, has a play on words. We'll talk about a bit, a bit about the day because it's important. Cause when God uses play on words, which means two words that sound very similar in Hebrew spelled almost identical, but they are opposing things. 
That means that they're connected on purpose. We'll talk about that shortly. We'll get to the arc in more detail. But specifically, the cover is the Kapoor. That it's called the Kapoor on purpose, not by accent. It's not called the top. It's called the Kapoor. And the intent of the Kapoor is that if you were in Hebrew, any Jew would say, oh, it's the Kapoor. Your immediate thought should always come to spring your head is Yom Kippur, the day of covering. So the functionality of the Kippur of the Ark is to cover the Ark. It's a covering. It's a top. And, but the Kippur means is, wait a minute, if I'm thinking Kippur, Yom Kippur is a day of covering, the day of covering my sins, more specifically my iniquities and transgressions, the ones I knew about. I did it intentionally. Those sins in particular. So the idea is that this, this Kippur, this covering is designed to be that thing. Now, what the King James used as mercy seat is not actually a seat at all. And unfortunately, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it gives a, a strange mental picture inside our heads of what it is. And that we imagine a seat like we do a chair. A chair has a bottom and has a back to it. And you sit down like you know, a seat would be, a sitting down seat. That is not what uh, Judaism looks at it at all. And nor did any of the writings discussing it prior to King James translation. Notice that no, no, no topic ever used the term mercy seat or described it to look like a chair type of seat. All previous prior King James translations, well, not picking on him or their translation in particular, just that it's just because we're English, we speak English. Um, they use a term as like a platform, like a flat place, a flat space. And so in Judaism, I should think I'll picture that too. If those of you who have, I think I have a picture somewhere here. Hold on, let me find it real quick. Uh, this is more, a little more accurate on how it appears. Hold on a minute, Isaac. Uh, is, uh, now, in this picture, this is obviously an artist's rendering. But you need the two cherubim up top, those of you who can see it, have all both wings, or both, each set of wings, is reaching over to, to, to touch or almost touch one another on the top of the cover. So the intent is that God appears above those wings, above them. It's where he's hanging out when he shows up. He doesn't hang below them, doesn't sit on them, he's hanging above them. It's more like a, imagine almost like a platform where the wings, the cherubim create the platform itself. And we would look at more like a stool because there's no, there's no back to it. It's just like or a bench. There's no back to it at all. It's just a place or a space. And he shows up theoretically, of course, when, when it's described, when it's ever described, he just shows up typically as like a, a light or, or some kind of, a, of, 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 of an appearance or a, a cloud type pattern, whatever, above it. So you don't actually see an image per se. But the intent of that design is the wings come over the top of it to make a platform that he hangs out above. As opposed to the bench form, we think of a seat. There's like he's sitting on his hand, his back, so leaning against the, the back of the angel's wings, which is more of a, a, a Christian slash, more actually not Christian, more, more accurately as an English a variation, English description of what the seat would look like. And that's not consistent with uh, any of the Torah descriptions as far as what it's supposed to be or how the wing's supposed to reach. So the, the, the idea there, a platform above is more accurate. The term mercy. When they say mercy seat, the English translators were not foolish men. They were smart people. They understood that Kippur meant Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is all about receiving mercy from your iniquities and transgressions. So they comprehended, okay, yeah, we're not going to call it Kippur because that's a Jewish word, but we're going to call it the idea that, that the mercy that the Yom Kippur is supposed to in convey, the idea of granting mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it. 
That's the idea behind Yom Kippur. You knowingly committed a crime or a transgression in this case, and you don't deserve fixing it because you know full well you did it. You did it on purpose, usually from wickedness or whatever the case would be, whatever you, your rebelliousness, whatever the reasons are. You don't deserve it, but God's going to grant you mercy and get you kindness or life in spite of the fact you didn't deserve it. So the translators were not foolish men. They understood the idea behind Yom Kippur and the word Kippur, meaning cover, but they it, 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 it kind of gives you a, a false idea of what the what the intent of the whole picture was is that the Yom Kippur was not strictly about receiving grant of kindness from God or mercy. It was dependent upon something on your part. Yom Kippur, well, there's a reason why we fast. It's not it, we're not fixing the problem with our fasting, but the idea there's a reason why it costs you something: discomfort, misery, unpleasantness. Yom Kippur is, is associated with that. I mean, I don't know any child my, I've ever met who doesn't, who, who doesn't say, oh, Yom Kippur, coming up, they all groan, oh, that's what we don't eat, right? Every child discusses that. Almost every adult does too. And they mourn, oh, crud, Yom Kippur again. When's it going to be over again? They all moan about that because it costs, it's, it's difficult. It's not pleasant. It's an unpleasant experience. And that's the idea of mercy. When you go to God and say, uh, God, I need mercy. It's more along the lines of, God, please grant me mercy. But it is God's choice to grant it or not. It's his decision. Hey, in this scenario, sorry, you're going to go through this difficulty because, you, because it, is, it is gaining you a lesson or whatever God's decision. That's his decision, why he gives mercy in, on certain things and says, hey, unfortunately, this one you have to walk through in spite of it. Uh, but that's all his decision. So the idea of mercy seat is a little bit misleading, but it's not to say wrong, as you term wrong, it's just misleading. A Kippur is more accurate to think of Yom Kippur. Always think of Yom Kippur. When you think of the, the translation of your mercy seat, think of the Kippur or Yom Kippur. That's its function or its purpose. Um, again, it's using Hebrew words that helps explain the intent behind the image. I hope that makes sense. Make sense, Pat? Yes, it does make sense. And thank you for explaining that. I appreciate that very much. Sure. Any comments or questions before I go into this? Yeah, uh, Rose, Rose has a comment, then Larry. Go ahead, Rose. I, I was just thinking uh, when you uh, study uh, all the directions on how to build this tabernacle, if we as a people would begin to build our tabernacle, or even the churches of today, you could go down the street and, and uh, on any street and see five different churches built five different ways. <laughs> uh, and uh and the people inside have uh have all their opinions on on what goes into that church and uh what kind of furniture and uh, what have you uh you know if they followed god's directions what a better world this would be <laughs> actually that comes up a little bit in our Torah portions eh? as 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 as, as, as a discussion regarding some of the appearance appearance items here and what's listed uh, uh we'll hopefully talk a little more about that uh shortly uh, Alex, do the other person have a question or comment? I always just thought of when they said mercy seat is that this is the location where mercy is dispensed. And that's yeah, correct. Fair. Because um, one of the, the things that's been noted in the past is that uh, seat there is the archaic use of seat as in place, kind of like county seat, meaning just general location of something. Like a judge or, or like, yeah, a, a general idea. Right. Which, which, like the people, the translations were not, they were not dumb men. They're smart men. 
they just use an interpretation to to help guide if they if they use the hebrew word cover or sorry the english word cover it would kind of lose its its meaning because uh, in english we don't think of the word cover as where where something where where god you know gives you your mercy or, or give you or covers your sins we don't think of that where we don't associate we just think oh it's just a cover and we just move on well there is a reason why they try to use a a a, a not uh, not a, a common word that we would just dismiss they're trying to gather your attention this 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 cover means something it's really important meanings they try to give a new definition or a new word choice which is which is which is good uh yeah uh, and you have a question as well um yes um chapter 26 um verse uh for the first verse you know about about the 10 curtains of fine woven linen blue purple and scarlet yes. and then if you go to verse uh 31 you shall make a veil woven of now which one is is the veil the one the veil that was torn into from top to bottom is that the same as the curtains made in 26 verse 1 so is, see, are, there, yeah. are there 10 different curtain sets of curtains along the way here so uh, 26 verse 1 is discussing so uh, if you imagine what this place looks like it's a room inside of a big room so the, the all the curtains being discussed here and are, are in in the first part of chapter six Tracy discusses the small room which surrounds holy of holy area and, and and this area which which uh the priest goes into the instance, instance obviously is burned there as well and that so that 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 whole process is covered up within within that first ver, first few verse the 10 panels you're making of, of twisted linen they go around that area which is how they're, how they're wrapped around it now as far as the tail on the veil now obviously there's debate of what this this day looks like but the veil is intended to be a fabric piece that covers in front of that room so you have the main entrance to the tabernacle the, the main outside into the whole the outer wall was like 100 cubits long 50 cubits long really big 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 rectangular square this has its main entrance which is on the east side and there's a veil that also is covering up the smaller version on the middle of it that has its own veil that's the one theoretically as has been interpreted to the one that was torn uh, as far as when uh, when jesus died now i say this one that's torn because at Jesus's time, the actual the outer wall didn't have a veil. The outer wall at Jesus' time was it's simple. It had two massive doors. The doors. Now I've forgotten. Forgive me. I've got the exact number of men. It took many men, however, to open and close each door because it was so heavy. They were made of solid metal. They weren't like the. It weren't like doors like we think of like our house door. There, I believe. I believe it was recorded. They were what we would consider about 20 25 feet tall about 15 foot wide each so really really massive heavy solid metal doors and took many many men they had hinges of course to move them or get them open or closed and if when messiah died as it is recorded those doors would open by themselves and remained open they, they didn't they just naturally swung open they didn't used to do that it took many men to open it up it was a lot it was very heavy and now they naturally did it and of course separate from those doors being left open they couldn't they didn't close they didn't they didn't naturally close anymore the veil itself was torn at the same time that would be on the inner section the inner tabernacle area the inner inner area where the holy where the ark was kept at and we'll discuss about a little bit about that as well today so that's those are those are the, the different descriptions as far as different different fabric pieces being used for the intersection versus the outer court area does that make sense hopefully it is
All right. Another question around this topic. We'll go a little bit deep into this. Um, so <clears throat> I'm going to be, be really honest with you all. Uh, there are a lot of opinions, tons and tons of opinions, books written about these topics, about the different parts and pieces of the furniture items. And I cannot even come close to reading all of them or even relaying a tenth of what they all think and believe. So I'm not going to be able to explain every detail uh, regarding every different uh, uh, writer, Christian author, rabbinical author, and their ideas of what's going on and why these different components are needed. I will bring up one, a few fundamental part points, which have been brought up as overall general discussion topics. So one of the general topics was the the app, the actual the questioning of the need for a tabernacle at all. Uh, keep in mind, though, these people they came, the people of Israel came out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They're all been let's let's go this theoretically. They were were metaphorically speaking or spiritually minded people for a minute. We pretend we pretend we're in our spiritual mind. They all came to the Red Sea. So they all been baptized. They've been washed clean of their sins. They're all pure. They're all clean and happy. Good, good, good people. That kind of thing, right? Yeah, they have their complaints about the. The, the, the lack of, of, of quail and such and food, but that's normal. And they were learning what Shabbat was. Okay, don't go out on, on, on Shabbat to gather your food and such. And they were learning this stuff, but we all learn, right? All of us learn. We aren't born knowing anything about God. We have to, from childhood to adult, we learn our whole lives. So these people, theoretically, in a, meta, in a spiritual sense, they had God with them already. God was hanging around with this, 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 pillar of fire or pillar of cloud and maneuver around, move around and stuff. That's what it did. And they already had that. He's right now at this point in time, and he's hanging on top of this mountain with all the smoke and fire and, and everything else going up. They're surrounding the mountain. They, they can see him. They well, not see him directly, but they can see the smoke and the fire. They can hear all the different noises and such. So he's already there amongst them. Why did he bother making a tabernacle? Were they not holy enough already? Could he not already just hang around them. Obviously, Moses was allowed to go up there on the mountaintop. Even he brought Joshua up there, up to a certain level. I'm not sure exactly how high he went, but a certain, certain point up there. He even brought the 70 elders up a short distance for a meal with God, along with, of course, Aaron, his brother. And so there are a lot of people who've already been up and dwell with God. It used to dwell temporarily, something not only hanging out in heaven per se, but as far as dwelling out his, in his holy mountain space, where he said no ordinary people just walk up there for the fun of it. You had to be, had to be invited. So these people had already been invited. They went up there. They've, they've seen at least parts of what God looked like, not in his appearance, but as far as they, they saw his throne, they saw the, the sapphire blue colored platform he was hanging out on. So they saw certain things about him. They could hang out with him. They could talk to him in that respect. At least Moses obviously could. I, I can't speak to whether all the, all the other 70 elders could or not, but so why bother building a tabernacle? What was the function of a tabernacle? What, what did it gain God? Now, mind you, God is showing Moses the tabernacle in heaven. He's discussing what it looks like, showing pictures of it. Hey, make it look like this, that kind of thing. Well, what was the purpose? Why was God bothering with this? Mind you, the people have not sinned with the golden calf yet. That event hasn't even occurred. And God's already starting out. There. Okay, now you got to make a, a home for me, a place where I can hang out and be around you. So was he making a house because he wanted to look pretty? Was he making a house because he had nothing else to do? They had lots of stuff from, from Egypt. Why did he want a tabernacle? 
is is not are not we're not the people obviously obviously moses was a flesh and blood human being and he was able to go up and meet with god personally be in his presence and talk to him directly uh, could it not be that god could bestow as we would do in christianity could bestow his grace his favor upon the rest of people say yes i will dwell with you as well is this not possible obviously messiah was able to dwell with us and that wasn't necessarily a problem per se so why couldn't god well this it's a fair question as far as what the purpose of a tabernacle is mind you even modern day today do we have a temple no we do not there's no physical structure that is a temple per se. We have obviously churches we go to. We are well the temple of our bodies, all the different conceptuals, those different metaphors or, or or spiritual concepts of them. But you don't physically have a temple anymore. Well, if God's able to dwell with us now, if He's going to have a temple, why couldn't He do it then? Is God's hand somehow limited? He's not able to do something before we can do it now. What happened? What what was a problem here? What, what why couldn't God do something without requiring this massive this fabric like tent structure? It's an interesting question. It's a fair comment, and a, a, a numerous people who have written about this topic. Uh, Rose, you, you point. He says, "Rose says we are." Sorry, I'll read that again. It said, "Jeff typed it up." He said, "Rose says we are the temple." Actually, we're going to talk about that today. We are a temple of God. We'll discuss about what that means and it, it, shortly. We get to the the. It, it's it's that's why we're focusing our attention upon the ark specifically, uh, as opposed to the temple I as a think, whole. Uh, I think Daniel, uh, the reason uh, he asked to have that built was that he wanted to tent with us. But right. how bad did we want to tent with him? <laughs> did we want to tent with him bad enough to build that temple so that he would come down and and uh, be with us? That, that's a great I question. Mean, some people, when, uh, when that, when that uh, mighty uh, structure came down, being God Almighty, they were terrified. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when he spoke on the mountain, uh, you know, hey, you go up and talk to God. He, he's too scary. Right. He's too but, scary. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, how bad did the people want to really dwell with God? Because he it's really a great wanted question. to dwell with us. So, and, and, and there's an inherent problem. There's a inherent problem with the, with, the, with, the, with the dwelling with God. So if we have this idea to dwell with God, we want to dwell with, if Now, I can't say everybody wanted to. Maybe some did. Maybe some didn't. I, I don't know their personal hearts or minds. But as a whole, if we want to dwell with God, what is the inherent problem with dwelling with God? Now, mind you, God is defined as holy. <laughs> so what's the inherent problem with human beings dwelling with something that is defined the definition of holy. And you have a question? You have a comment? Yeah, well, it, if we're unclean then, and we see God, we're dead. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're, but, but I was going to say, um, right. all the people of the nations of the world, you know, they had these, um, what would you call, uh, um, flighty yeah. or pre- uh, precocious, what's the word? Anyway, Precocious, not precocious. precocious but, oh, oh. Yes, but um, uh, gods that you know, and they're in the made that, that that they came up with. All the gods of the world, they they had nothing to do with the person personally. They were just acting capriciously about everything that 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 the people of the world, like like Zeus, and you know, they all had their own little world going on, mm-hmm. but. 
so the thought of of God dwelling inside a man, it it was really must have been ludicrous actually for anyone to think. That, I mean, because he he didn't he didn't, and none, none of the other gods of the world had any any personal interest in man. Would, they were just toys, we'll say, you know. Right. So uh, it's a very unusual concept. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point you bring up. So it, when, when she's right in the form of when you discuss, for example, I'm, not, I'm being this as a, uh, what's the right word? Is it a strawman argument? Well, anyway, whatever the argument is called. So I have, let's pretend I have an idol worshiper hanging on this side. He's, a, he's an acquaintance of mine, right? Idol, worship, idol worshiper Bob. So Bob worships idols. You ask Bob, Bob, do you really think that idol, this object, we'll say it's made out of uh, something nice. Uh, we'll say it's made out of, of silver or gold, whatever. And it looks like, you know, sort of like a person in some ways. It's got eyes, ears, and mouth. It has, you know, some features. And you ask Bob, you bow down this idol and talk to him all the time. Do you really worship this thing of gold? And he'll say, of course not. He worship the thing of gold. He worships the idea behind the thing of gold. He's not worshiping gold. You ask Bob, well, then why did you make it with hands and, and eyes and ears and nose and all kind of various features of a human being, even though it's not, it's just a piece of metal. And you tell Bob, says, well, because I like the idea of thinking my God can hear me. And so I make it look like this. So it reminds me that God is my God, whatever God it is, is hearing me. It's an interesting problem when you come across this issue with regards to the, the nature of idol worship and on a broader scale, all the different gods that each culture believed in or worshipped or trusted. They believed in whatever they believed in. Uh, and, that, and, it, and I'm not going to discuss the details of each particular religion, but the idea so that is, um, this god is different. Is Bob then worshipping Beelzebub? <laughs> yeah, bells. That's great. I should. I didn't know about that. That's a good one. Bells, bells of Bob. <laughs> I'll remember that one. Uh, uh, so it's an interesting problem you have that God's trying to our God's trying to introduce Himself a little bit differently than what they're accustomed to seeing. Um, Alex, you have a hand up, and then Pamela has her hand up. So go ahead, and Alex, you can go first. Yeah, it, is it a little simple to say that everything that you learn about God is that He's got this? process god's time the mm -hmm. seasons uh the the uh for the jewish calendar mm -hmm. and of course just hey we're on the other side of the red sea i'm jumping in yet now it, it can't happen that way wait you know we're gonna it's our first date mm -hmm. right that's true it's yeah you're right it, it we're speak, gonna it talk is. about writing it on your heart and mm -hmm. uh Issue will be the, it's a process. It's a process. We, we can't function anyway, and I, I assume that's it. That's pretty universal, I think. That, that that's a fair point. That that you you can't jump from one all the way to the end, as uh, far as the whole concept, all at once. Very few people can. It's it's similar. I've used this analogy in the past. Try to take a sip of water from a fire hydrant. It's really hard because it's really powerful. Blasts at you. So God can't throw things at you like a fire hydrant. You can listen to water, here's a glass, his drinking fountain, drink a little bit at a time and slowly drink it that way, as opposed to, you no, know, just open the fire hydrant and, you know, put your mouth over and see what happens. <laughs> it can't throw you all at once. It takes, as a child, you wouldn't do it to your child, an infant child growing up. You wouldn't throw, okay, baby's born, all right, here's the, the book of the laws of, of, the, of, of here's how to, how, to, how to fend for yourself, and here's how to provide for your families when they're still a day old. It takes time to grow mature like everybody else does. And so that's a fair assessment that God is, 
introducing them in a particular process of how to get there. And we're talking about that process specifically as far as for the ark is looks the looks the way it does and what's in it and what that process means, how Messiah takes over, because there's a play on words we talk about. Before we get there, uh, Pamela, you have your hand up. What is your comment you had to share? Well, it, was the thing about, it was the thing about the idols. Um, the Catholics pray to uh, images, and they don't think they're praying to an idol, but somehow they, I don't get it. <laughs> that's that, 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 that's, it's a fair comment. It's a fair question. So, if you talk, I've, I've have, um, I guess a, a few people who in, in my family who have been Catholics when they were younger. Um, and, and, and honestly, I don't fully understand it myself, all the details, how, how that process works. But the idea being that, yeah, they don't, they don't perceive they're praying to the, the statue itself. They're using the statue, nothing more, as a reminder of whatever spirit they're trying to pray to, as if that is. It's just a reminder that 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 to to focus the intent, the intent is to focus your your prayers at this moment in time. That look, you're being watched, and so this is the idea of how this idol is used. And I don't agree with that philosophy, and I think that's wrong. But that's my personal how I view it because I think that is that is akin to idol worship. Um, idol worship itself, a, a given statue of Buddha or whatever you want to worship, it's still an idol. It's still an object. You're putting that object in front of you instead of God in front of you. God's very specific. He does not want you to put anything in front of him. You you have no other gods before me. That means no idols will be between you and him at any point in time. You must set that idol aside. You face God face to face, obviously not physically, but spiritually in the form of a prayer. Face God to him. You address him directly. This is what you're asking. Imagine from it, you had a child who wanted to ask their dad or their mom for a favor, I mean, maybe a cookie for the day or whatever, whatever the case would be. They say, okay, I'm not going to ask dad or mom. I'm going to ask my big brother. And then he can get the cookie for me because dad or mom are too scary. Now, yes, that might get you the physical cookie, but your big brother might get in trouble too. <laughs> but also you'll get in trouble. Why didn't you come to me directly? I didn't want you, your, your brother is not your parent. Don't, don't ask him to do it for you. You ask me and you ask me directly. And I am your parent. You come to me for your troubles and struggles, not to your siblings, not to somebody else, not to some other person. It's me directly. Don't give authority, my authority to somebody else who, doesn't, who is not supposed to have it. It is my authority. Uh, Deborah, you have your hand up. Go ahead, Deborah. Um, isn't that like a form of conjuring? You're conjuring up a spirit. You know, when you're over there, you look at the statue and, or you, people pray to Mary and, it's a form of conjuring, like witchcraft and sorcery. When that's you're an conjuring concept. It. I hadn't yeah, thought about that. I thought. I hadn't thought well, about that. Well, he says it. If yeah. you find a witch, it's conjuring up. Right, you're trying to, you know, visualize and look at something. And right. he never exposed, you know, he never showed us. He was a voice inside of a cloud. God never, you know, he's right. glory and fire. So, you know, that's but I true. think it's a form of conjuring. Okay. That's an interesting idea. That's your idea. So idol, idol worship, you could argue that is a type of conjuring, a physical manifestation of the spiritual idea of conjuring. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that one. That's a, that's a good perspective, Deborah. So uh, in, in our discussion, so God has all this nice, pretty stuff, nice, pretty furniture, beautiful walls, beautiful stuff, all those different colors and all the different components. But you and I are human beings. We know what things are. Things are things. It's stuff it's still stuff 
Uh, I have a house with stuff. You have homes. I'm sure there are areas of your homes that's full of stuff. You look at those. I like, do. I really need this stuff. Sometimes you say yes. Sometimes you say well, not really. It's been accumulating here for three years, and I haven't used it. Look how much dust is on top of it. That kind of thing. It's been in the closet for the past two and a half years. I haven't touched it. Do I need it? Probably not. So stuff is stuff. Four walls are four walls. But God has His walls very specifically designed. Their color scheme, the components are used in them. And He says you had to make sure you did exactly the way I showed you. Because his stuff means something. <laughs> Jeff's comment, you need a bigger house to put more of your stuff in, right? That's what we all need. Bigger houses to put stuff in. <laughs> we have, I fill my four rooms of stuff. I need a fifth room. Let's, let's, let's build an extension to put more stuff in it. Uh, things like that be go for bigger, bigger stuff houses. Uh, of course, you can't take it with you, right? Anyhow, so you need more stuff. So this, this is a, it's a beautiful home. And, but you'll know that God only has specific furniture items in his house, not too many. He doesn't want more, just, just, just what he asks for. So amongst these furniture items, and they're pretty, they're beautiful, they have all these great stuff. Um, I have a question, don't answer this, but just think about it in, t- in, in your head. Um, contrast God's house with all of its prettiness, all the various pretty things it has in it, with, let's, I'm just throw these out there for, for the sake of discussion, with uh, your average synagogue or church. What value is a synagogue or church building? What is the purpose or function of it? Its function, of course, is to, is to have a place for both for worship, place where you can worship, but worship your God, to learn your taught about God or whatever God you believe in, whichever church or religion you happen to believe in, it's your business. But your place where you you are taught about this 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 the the, the religion of your religion of, of your fathers, whatever you study or believe, and these buildings have this purpose of teaching and worship, helping the people worship to understand their Creator, their God. That's why they exist. Now, if the building is pretty or a building is ugly, does that affect? What you learn about your God? Well, theoretically speaking, if you use the same textual textual book, no, it does not. But it does affect your perception of your God. If you have a nice, pretty building to go to, lots of pretty stuff, silver, gold, whatever, and you worship and you say your God, you think, wow, my God's awesome. Look at this pretty stuff here. It all looks very regal, very uh, 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 wealthy, like your God is full of wealth and full of power and strength. That's the idea that it produces out of people. Hence, why people made idols out of gold as opposed to mud. Mud idols were not common. You know why they're not common? It rains and they break apart and they're made from mud. We don't value mud. We do value gold. We value silver. But things that, that look or make us feel this God is important or valuable to us is intrinsic value. So that's a nor- these are human beings. We do that pretty regularly. But the building itself. Regardless how it looks, what if your synagogue or church or whatever that you believe in did not teach you about your God or did not provide a place for you to worship or the service of people in general? Then what is the building? We call it a warehouse. It stores stuff. If it's not used for the purpose it was designed for, it's just there to store stuff, hence a bigger house, right? Just come up, need a bigger house, bigger warehouse, more stuff in it. That's all it's used for. So its true function, as we all know, of synagogue or church is to provide a place for worship, but also 
instruction about your God and your relationship with him, of course, as far as how that's supposed to work in your everyday life. That's its purpose. It's, it's, its function in life is that, is, that, is that purpose. If for some reason it had that purpose and then lose, loses it, lost the reason, stopped teaching about your God, stopped finding a place of worship, what did it become? An empty building. Note, I believe that is what God specifically stated regarding his temple when he, when, during the exiles. I, God's not there. It is now an empty building. Has no intrinsic value. What was that? I didn't catch that sentence. Ichabod. Ichabod, yes. The, God, the, the glory of God has departed. It is worthless. And that's actually a great point about Ichabod. So let's go back. I didn't go back. I didn't write the scripture down myself. But in, in, the, in the story with regard to the prophet Eli. So Eli and his sons, of course, when Eli, it, it, the Ark of the Covenant had left, was, was captured by the Philistines, and Eli dies, and his sons die, and all that kind of stuff. But the whole purpose of God was leaving Israel to the Philistines here, not because Philistines were righteous people, nothing of the sort, but God was leaving Israel because their house he dwelt in, the tabernacle he dwelt in, was not being used for the purpose what it was designed for. It was not being used to a place of worship. It was not being used to a place of teaching. It was used as a place of corruption and usury and sexual you know, uh, events or, or activity that did not belong. It was of no value because I'm not going to stay here if this is how you're going to treat my home. It's not a home to me. It's just an empty, in this case, it was a tent, an empty building. So, God has departed. So if God departs, then there's no real use for the building. There's no real use for the purpose or even the people who are employed in the building. They have no longer have a function. They're worthless in that capacity. So in this instance, we discuss the synagogues or, 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 or churches and their function. You can never forget the whole purpose as far as Acts 15 discussion, the, the punchline of Acts 15, which was Regardless of where you come from, what your background is, you know, sexual morality, stop that, don't drink blood, uh, a couple of minor things. And then dominantly, the reason why those are your only requirements, because as the apostles all concluded, the reason we only require these minimum things for Gentiles is because Moses, meaning the structure of the Torah, are taught in every, every Shabbat in the synagogues. So they're going to learn everything they need to in the synagogues. So that all the apostles recognized the function of a synagogue or a church, we use in churches today, is to teach Moses or teach the, the instructions for God to the people. Regardless of your background, regardless of what you thought or believed, that's irrelevant. Stop the very basics, you know, fornication, the basic things, stop those. So you're allowed to come and not contaminate everybody else. And then learn. And that's the purpose of them to learn. Synagogue, of course, is a place of teaching. And the, as opposed to the temple itself during the, during the apostles' time, actually shortly after their, their time, as, as they were, their time was coming to a conclusion, uh, it obviously gets ransacked and destroyed after 70 AD. And that temple, the building itself, every time, as history showed, they tried to rebuild or go back. Like, it, was 300, it was 300 AD they tried it, and then 800 AD they tried it, and maybe once 600 AD, I don't remember exactly, it was three times. The Jews tried to go back to Jerusalem, they're trying to rebuild it again. And when they went there, some massive catastrophe would happen. An earthquake would come and level everything down. A massive fire would break out and kill a whole bunch of people. God purposefully prevented his building from ever being rebuilt because he left it. He left it. It's no longer a useful structure to him anymore. So why rebuild something that is, that is useless? So if I go to a church or synagogue, 
and I am not learning about God, about what his purpose is, function in my life, how to worship him, how to follow his instructions, how to be the person God wants you to be. If I'm not learning those things, I am wasting my day. I might as well go play golf. I don't actually play golf. But if I did play golf, I go play golf. Or I go to something else. I go go do anything else that's worth worthwhile to me because I am wasting my time going to a building that they teaches me nothing about my God. It doesn't guide me in my way of life. Does it restrict what to do? It's no longer doing its function. Why am I wasting my time doing this? It's of no use to me. So, but God's objective, of course, as we learn in verse eight of up to twenty-five, was to dwell with the people. So God's God's objective was to dwell with us, as Rose quickly pointed out. Is our objective to dwell with God or not? Is it also is, there, is, is this a reciprocal detail? Are, are we are we reciprocating His desire that He wants to dwell with us, so we want to dwell with Him? Well, again, this is our function. This is what we do as far as we go to our synagogues or churches or and the, at this time the tabernacle itself. Uh, as far as what our purpose is, is to dwell with God. So, does this dwelling with God? I have a question for you. Don't answer this. It's just a rhetorical question to think about. Does our dwelling with God, does that apply to our homes also? Uh, does that apply to our bodies also? What is dwelling, what does him dwelling with us look like? As Rose quickly pointed out, our temple, our bodies are, is, is, is the temple of God. He's supposed to dwell inside of our bodies. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to dwell inside of your body? I mean, I have to, you know, you know, clean up. Uh, what, what does it do? What, what, what does it look like? How, how, how do I affect my body? How do I make my body look like he's dwelling in it or not? Well, a body is a fleshly thing. So it's, it's, its appearance is less important than its function. I mentioned before, a pretty building, an ugly building, and the pretty building doesn't teach you about God, but the ugly building does, the ugly building is more valuable. The body, if a pretty body or an ugly body, if the pretty body doesn't follow God, but the ugly body does, the ugly body is more valuable. The whole point is that your body is dependent on what its function is. What is it doing? How are you living your life? What are you, pre- how, what are you presenting to people around you and the, your interaction with God and the people that, that are followers of God? That is your function of a body or a temple. That's how we use it. That's how Messiah used his. He freely gave a whole lot, more than we ever do, as far as gave healing, gave comfort to people. He did things that we couldn't, we obviously physically can't do very well, but we try. He gave information as well as a, a good guidance. That's what he was doing. He was giving those things. And so I, I we're focusing a little attention about Messiah and how his was a temple of God. And mind you, this course recorded in John chapter two. And of course, in Second uh, Corinthians, we discussed it as well. Second uh, Corinthians discusses, discusses the same topic regarding our bodies being temples of God. Uh, so the idea that Messiah recognized and showed to his disciples my body, Messiah's body, is a temple or the temple of God. Destroy it, you know, raise it in three days. Well, that 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 metaphor, that example that Messiah was telling to his disciples, they then realized, oh, that means all of our bodies are the temple of God. That was the intent behind it. That was the intent behind his instruction, and they comprehended that. They, of course, explained in Second Corinthians as far as what that looks like. It's your, it, and it's this is what our temple of God is supposed to be. Yes, keep it clean. Yes, wash it, bathe it, hygiene, you know, all the good normal stuff we'd normally do. But there's something very fundamental, fundamentally important to the temple of God. I have this question for you. What is the structure of the tabernacle, all the fabric and all the different colors and different metal parts and pieces and components? 
what is the very core or center object inside the tabernacle itself? It also the temple as well, the exact same core physical object that was the Ark of the Testimony. That was the center thing that was in the middle of everything. Everything surrounds that one object. Why? What was so important about the particular object? Yeah, it looked pretty, had you know different you know, box shape and had poles and lifted up and carried all, yeah, all this great stuff, but it's, it's a relic. It's an object, a thing. So what was so important about it? Was it because it had a lot of gold on it? Was it because it, had, it was real pretty, made out of hammered work and decorative? No, there's not. That's not the value. It's not the, the object. That, that, that isn't, the, isn't the stuff or the decoration or the components made from. The value of the object is what it represented. What did the object represent? This is where we have play on words. So, in English, you don't catch this. And to be fair, I didn't catch it because I don't usually read Hebrew that closely, that, that thoroughly. So, in this instance, you will note that anybody know what had... Oh, Rose, sorry. Uh, Rose, has your hand up? Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say that... Uh, its contents is right. uh, what was important. Right. What's in it? What's in it? So it had three things in it. It, it, it had three things eventually, but initially it has ten crowns. God, in, in this, we're introduced here in Exodus. The intent, the, the, the God's original intent prior to you know, this, this, the bud, the rot, Aaron staff being budded, prior to the, the mana jar being you know, put in it and around it, or I think it was, in, it was inside of it. I think it was inside of it. I can't one's in it and one's next to it. The rod was either next to it and the jar was in it. I forgot. One's in and one's next to. I think there's probably the container size way too big. I'm not sure. Anyhow, so the items, there are certain items that are in it. The contents are what matters. So when we look at the ark, the Hebrew word for ark is aharon. Sorry, it's a haron. Sorry, haron. Uh, it's, it's a hey, Allah fresh noon. Um, and I say that because there is a when God uses Hebrew and plays on words, the idea is that if you have a play on words, meaning two words in Hebrew that sound similar but are somehow related, it just it, it, it's the idea is to to make it. We we would call them today we call them puns in English. It's a pun. Well, in this instance, we have a pun. The Ark Haaron versus Moses' son Aharon are spelled almost identical, and they're pronounced almost identical. And it's not a coincidence that Aharon faces the Ha'aron at Yom Kippur. It's not a coincidence that the Aharon has on him all the different names of Israel and the different tribes, and he faces the Ha'aron when he approaches and talks to God. And the reason why we use play on words, why God uses play on words, because he's trying to point out to you that, yeah, puns rule, right? <laughs> Is that when you have a pun, when you have a play on words, God's making it, it's, it's kind of like a sense of humor in some ways, but also gives you attention. So why does God connect these two objects that don't appear to be connected? Why is it that Aaron, Aharon, and the Ark, Haaron, are in the same room, same building, same time, once a year at least, as far as when, they, when he approaches, and why are they facing each other at this moment in time? Now, mind you that the Ha'aron, the Ark, it has the testimony tablets inside of the Ten Commandments. 
And Aharon has all the Israelites strapped to his shoulders, and they have the breastplate, and he has a big turban on his head. He's facing the Ha'aron, the ark. So the Aharon faces the Ha'aron to have a discussion between the two of them. Uh, sprinkling blood, doing the very same that Aharon does. And the Ha'aron, the ark, then responds to Aharon and say, yes, I, I accept your, your, your offerings, or no, I don't accept your offerings for Yom Kippur. So the Ha'aron and Aharon have a conversation every, every Yom Kippur. And uh, Ha'aron and, uh, and Aharon, they, they, theoretically, they'll always agree, but the, the Ha'aron can say no to the Aharon. <laughs> and they can say, no, I'm not going to grant peace. As we learned, historically speaking, there are times which, which Yom Kippur failed. Uh, shortly after Messiah's death, it had rep- repetitive failures as far as not working correctly. So we have the, the, the Ha'aron can say no to the Aharon. It's kind of funny. But play on words has a spiritual or metaphorical reason when God used them in the Torah. So the, the Ha'aron and Aharon, there is a reason why God had Aaron's name by his parents when he was a baby 83 or 84 years earlier saying you're going to name this kid Aharon. And they said, that's a great name. Don't know what it means, but it's a great name. So they named him Aharon. And God knew full well that Aharon's a play on words with Ha'aron, the ark, because Aharon is going to face the Ha'aron when he's 83, 84 years old. 84, he's 84. So they're faced each other and they're going to have a conversation. So, we have a play on words. We ask ourselves, okay, God, you had this play on words. Ha ha, very funny. Why? Why do you have a play on words here? What was the point of making the Ha'aron and Aharon the same face each other? Why are you making them meet one another? What's the point of having a play on words here unless there's something important being relayed with this pun? And in my opinion, this is Medellin Age's opinion, there is an important thing being played with this pun. In the case of the Ha'aron, the Ark, I have a question for you. Now, don't answer, but just think about it for a minute. You will note the instructions are really important here, that the poles, the poles that hold the Ark, never get removed. They stay in there. Now, we already know the function of the poles is the Ark can be carried and moved away. So, the Ark itself, which contains the Ten Commandments, and of course, to cover on top of it and, 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 and God's presence at certain times of the year go above that. But its function is the Ten Commandments, the Testament Ten Commandments are inside the ark. And that is the core center of the entire tabernacle that God's having built, is that, that box with Ten Commandments in its inside of it. Now, these items always have the poles attached. Now, mind you, God didn't necessarily specify that the, that the altar could, could have his poles removed. Maybe they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff's comment. People get, do get carried away with opinion polls. So <laughs> he's an opinion, right? So um, my opinion here is that the polls remain because they can get carried away. I mean, physically, God can be carried out. The purpose is God to be carried out from the center of his temple. Now, Rose quickly pointed out that your body, Messiah's words as well, and the apostles' words as well, is supposed to be the temple of God. But the core of the temple of God is his Ten Commandments written on stone. And they have poles in them to be carried outside of that temple at a moment's notice. Now, 
spiritually speaking, since those are all physical things, spiritually speaking, that implies in my personal head that God's written word of stone, which is supposed to be right in the middle, the dead center of me, we call it a heart, dead center of me, the most important thing, that can be carried out away from me at a moment's notice. It's a scary thought. But his commandments can be taken away from me at a moment's notice. His instructions for my life, how to live, can take it away from me at a moment's notice. Now, I bring this opinion up because that's what God did physically with his tabernacle and temple. He left it. I am leaving the empty shell behind. Hence, where my opinion comes from is that the intent, the metaphorical or symbol, uh, the, the, the intent behind this imagery of the poles left in the ark is that God, I am a temple of God, but if I don't cherish this ark with the contents in it, the Ten Commandments, he can take them and remove them from me, leaving me empty and hollow. Rose, you have your hand up? Ladies, uh, I'm, I'm uh, standing on the promises of God. Amen. And one, of them being, and one of them being, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's an important so, principle. If I stay close to him and do my best to uh, keep my house clean, uh, he will never leave me. Exactly. As long as you stay functional, stay relevant to what he gave you to do, right? If the temple fails to do its job, meaning Rose, if you failed your job, or Daniel, I failed my job as far as following his way of life, the instruction he gave me to teach and to functionally live at the commandments which are written on stone. If I fail to do those, then I am getting my part completely. I'm saying, God, screw you. Well, what happens when you say God's through you? Is it okay? <laughs> yes, Rose. Point. Uh, I have left him. He never left me. Ah, that's a great question. So that, let's bring this this comment into in, a little more a little more narrow focus. This is an interesting point. So when did or what I should say what what did God write His words on? What was the object? What was the, the material he used to write his words on with Moses? It was rock or stone. Stone, obviously, is a hard object, a hard, hard substance. Now, the idea written on stone, we think, oh, well, so it can't be changed, can't be altered, right? can't be fixed, can't be, can't be modified. It's written in stone. We use that metaphor of euphemism today. But we also have this other scenario in Jeremiah 31, as well as Ezekiel 11 and 36 and 44, that his intent is to write not on stone, but rather on flesh. We call our hearts, hearts of flesh. And Jeremiah 31 discusses this specifically. Oh, I'm almost out of time. How'd that happen? Uh, I didn't catch that. So, in Jeremiah 31, I'll, I'll, I, will, I apologize, I'm not going to read these verbatim, but I'll, I'll go through them quickly. Jeremiah 31 says, I'm going to change, write my laws on our hearts. That was the intent uh, on this rock. Yeah, as Rose said, on this rock, I'll build my assembly. That was on Peter. So his, the intent is to write them on your heart. So your heart, according to Ze- Zechariah chapter 6, chapter 7, we human beings have made our hearts as hard as flintstone. Now you can't carve on flintstone in case you tried it, it doesn't work. 
hard as flint, so you can't carve on it. But Jeremiah 31 points out that God said he's writing his laws instead of on stone, like Ten Commandments, rather on our hearts. But keep in mind, the stone commandments were put inside of an ark, the ha'arot, put inside the box, which is the center of the temple, the tabernacle of God. Well, if we're the tabernacle of God, where are those, where is that instruction supposed to be written? Well, it was written on stone in the ark, it's written on flesh in our heart, because a heart in flesh and heart of stone, where Ezekiel 11, this is verse 13 to 21, as well as Ezekiel 36, verses, uh, well, 26, actually, 2025, 20, 20, 20, 30, like 30 there, so Ezekiel 11 and 36 both discuss very thoroughly over and over again, I am going to change your heart from stone into a heart of flesh so that I can write on it and it, can, and it will stay there. And Zechariah 7 was pointing out that, hey, we need to make ourselves not a heart of stone, but rather a heart of flesh. So all said and done, it appears that the intent of the Ark of the Covenant itself, which contains the stone tablets, having the words of God written on them, is symbolically the same or very similar to our own hearts with the words of God written on them. Now, in Ezekiel 11, which is really, really well written, he points out that in verse 19, 20, 21, that the, the intent, the example, what it looks like when God has his words written on our heart, it means we then follow his statutes, his commandments, his way of life, his instructions for the, for the, for the Torah. That was Ezekiel's commentary. That was his, his point. He reiterates it again, the appearance of having but being, being a temple of God or having God written on your heart. So these, these stone tablets are converted to flesh. The ark is, is you, your heart, as far as put inside your heart to write it on side, inside the, the core center of you. Uh, that as Ezekiel 11 points out, verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 20, says that they will walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts walk after their heart of their detestable things, our heart of stone, uh, detestable things, uh, their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads. That is, says the Lord God. So if you remain steadfast in your, in, 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 in your obedience to the instructions God wrote upon your hearts, then guess what? The ark stays in the temple. The, 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 the heart stays inside you. God dwells inside you. But if for some reason I decide to convert my heart from flesh into a flint stone, God says, I have no use for you. I have to leave because I cannot be with you. Hence, we asked earlier when I first started out, what was the purpose of the tabernacle? So that God could dwell with the people because God is defined as holy. Can holy dwell with unholy? No, it becomes unholy. Good does not corrupt evil. Uh, evil corrupts good. So something that is holy, it cannot hang around things that are unholy because guess what? It becomes associated either physically, spiritually, or mentally with the unholy. Uh, Flintstone become rubble? <laughs> That's an interesting question. <laughs> That's just wrong. Fred Flintstones. Okay, I won't go there. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is totally off topic. Uh, anyway, Jeff's comments, it it's, it's makes me laugh. Anyway, so, so we get the picture here. So the picture of what's going on inside, that's <laughs> a lot for that, inside of, of, of the ark was supposed to be 
the heart of stone with God's words written on it. And so our supposed to have a heart of flesh, turn a stone to flesh that God can write on it and us, of course, still live. So the idea that Messiah gave us, we are the temple of God, and 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 3, it's the same thing. We're a temple of God. That imagery is that God's laws, his instructions for life are written upon our hearts. And that's, that we, that's, that's how we become or represent the temple of God. That's in this manifestation. And it is manifested physically on the outward appearance by, as Ezekiel 11 and 36 say, by our obedience to those things written in that stone heart of ours, in that heart of flesh that we have, that the instructions for God, which of course, as we cover through every, every year of the Torah portion, and Messiah did the exact same thing. Mind you, he read the Torah too. That was the scriptures of his day. So where all the apostles didn't use the New Testament as their proofs. They used the Torah and the, the prophets of the proofs. They had their written into their hearts. They will follow and their lives then matched. That then the Ark of the Covenant can stay, i.e., in other words, God stays or dwells in them and dwells with them, continues on. If for some reason they reject those commandments, if for some reason I reject God's, I don't need your instructions, I'm going to live my own way, God is not going to be dwelling with me any longer because I will contaminate his holy name. If I live a unrighteous, unholy, corrupt, sinful, iniquitous life, full of corruption in every imaginable way, and I say, I follow God, what have I just done? I have destroyed his name. I have taken his name in vain, made it very low. Does he appreciate that? In case you're wondering, the answer is no, he does not. He does not appreciate that at all. In fact, he he rails against that regularly, hence why it's in the Ten Commandments. You will not take my name in vain. You will not make my instructions for life and treat them as garbage. that are written upon your heart and you will follow them and you will live them and you will live justly and kindly and you will obey my way of life. That's how you will live. So, that was the intent why I wanted to cover today. There's some details I didn't quite get to. There's more stuff as far as I didn't get to it thoroughly as far as the Aharon and Ha'aron and Messiah because they are all tied together. That Messiah is obviously an Aaron or, or the high priest, representative of, of, of high priest for us. And so he is the, the Aharon. At the same time, he's facing the Ha'aron, the ark, but at the same time, he's also temple. So the whole point was that the, the high priest and the ark and Messiah are all synonymous with one another. And that they all have the commandments of God written in their hearts of flesh, and they follow them. That is the core of who they are. Messiah pointed out he only does what his father teaches him or shows him to do. Well, God showed through Moses exactly what you do. Here's my way of life. Do it. Live it. As he will show, and he, God was very adamant about Moses. You will do this. You will write, make these things the exact way I show you. Don't deviate from it. It must match perfectly as best you can. And that was the idea. So Aaron is a, a human, a flesh but human version of the Ark, Ha'aron, hence the name, the name play on, the play on words. And of course, Messiah is a representative of Aaron to us. He is our high priest. So he is like the Ark itself in that capacity. Um, and and he, he faces the Ark. And he, he is the Ark. But God, of course, hangs out above him. God is not in the Ark. 
God dwells out above the cherubim, above the angels' wings, over the top of it. That so that's where that's where God hangs around. So that's his 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 place, his his seat. And another image you can imagine. It, not saying this is right, just a way of imagining it. As 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 if as if God Messiah was the throne of God, but God's the one who sits in the throne, so to speak. That the, the purpose behind it is in that capacity. I'm not saying that that's not a very good metaphor. I'm just using it as an example of, of imagery. But hey, that's the idea behind it. So we study the ark, and we'll discuss. There's obviously more furniture. I didn't cover all the furniture, but the core of it is the ark itself, which of course has the words of God written in stone, which is supposed to be written in flesh. Our hearts was written in flesh, so the ark, the commandments was written on our hearts, so that they will be inside of us in our core center. And we will then, as Ezekiel points out, we will obey his judgments and commandments and instructions for life, and we will live with God. Any questions or comments regarding our Torah portion we covered today? I know it's a lot thrown at you all at once, but uh, oh, that's right, we started late. That's why I was like, man, I could have sworn it wasn't going to take that long. That's why we, we, we started a little late. Okay, now, now I understand why, why it's already past three o'clock. I, I, had, I had this timed out. It would end about 10 to 3. It's like, how'd this happen? <laughs> I wasn't that far off. Uh, any comments or questions on our tour portion, either online or in the audience? All right, then we'll go and close with a prayer then. Hopefully, it will, and, uh, that was easy. Almighty God, we Father, thank you. Thank you for your kindness and blessing upon each of us. We ask you to bless our day together, Father, as though my family is not there in person. We, Great you miss that, Father, but may you bless those who are there in person. May you fill their hearts with good words, good encouraging words, good conversation that they can dwell with each other and, and dwell with you. And you will dwell with them, Father. They'll be your people and you'll be their God. Bless all of us, Father, as we try our best to follow your way of life, to live and be the examples that your apostles were, that your son was. They also we call the sons of God. We praise and ask your blessing, Father, we glorify in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.